0: From Cedarburg Public Library Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chapter a Day Kids Edition. My name is Casey, and I'm the teen librarian at the Cedarburg Public Library. We have teamed up with CPL Radio to read to you a new middle school book, one chapter at a time. Tune in each day to listen to a chapter, or you can catch up by listening to past recordings. This month's selection is called Betty Before X by Ilyasa Shabazz. It's about a young girl named Betty, who was raised by her aunt in Georgia until she is six. Then she joins her mother and step family in 1940s Detroit, where she learns the hard truths about the civil rights movement. Later on in life, she marries Malcolm X, the influential African-American Muslim minister and civil rights activist. I love this story because it is all about keeping your faith during tough times and leaning on your friends and community for love and support. After each chapter, CPL Radio will play a few Motown and doo-wop songs, the music that Betty and her friends Suzetta and Phyllis listen to in the book. To listen to the latest chapter, visit our website or go to the CPL Podcast page on Spotify. church, Suzetta says, Phyllis is coming over to my house. We're going to listen to her Billy Eckstein records and bake cookies. You want to come? I'll be right back. I tell them and run to find Ollie Mae to ask permission. Ollie Mae says, do you think you deserve to go, Betty Dean? My heart trembles to the pit of my stomach. Does she know I left church to go get candy? I stand there thinking about what I should say. I do not want to fib, especially in church, especially because the last time I told a really, really tiny lie about eating all of my vegetables, when really I gave them to Jimmy, Ollie Mae gave me a whipping, so I don't fib right here, right now in church, because I don't know what Ollie Mae or the Lord might do, and I don't want her or the Lord upset with me. I think about what Pastor Dame said about reaping what we sow. And so I pray one more time inside my head, asking God, please don't punish me for misbehaving. Ollie Mae sighs and says, well, answer me for God's sake. Do you think you deserve to go? I don't say anything. I just keep praying. Ollie Mae steps to me and grabs my wrist real tight. She bends down low enough to whisper in my ear, I let you sit with those girls today. Betty Dean and you disobeyed me. Mrs. Malloy sees us. She walks over, slow and calm, and stands close enough so Ollie Mae can see her, but not so close that she's in our space. Ollie Mae squeezes my wrist tighter. Her whisper is not light or sweet, like the kind of whisper that tickles your ear. Hers is bitter and stinging. I... Brought you into this world, Betty Dean. I can take you out. You hear me? Yes, Ollie May. Yes, ma'am. Mrs. Malloy steps closer. Everything okay? She asks, but something in her voice tells me she knows nothing is okay. Ollie May lets go of my wrist. Everything's fine, she says. I'm taking Phyllis to Suzetta's house. Is Betty coming? Mrs. Malloy asks. Susetta lives next door to Mrs. Malloy, so she gets a ride to church every Sunday. Mrs. Malloy steps a little closer to Ollie Mae and says, Betty really ought to spend some time with her girls. Her own age, don't you think? It doesn't sound like a question. I'll have her back right after supper. I know tonight's a school night. Mrs. Malloy hardly gives Ollie Mae a chance to answer. Ollie Mae looks at me, giving me another warning with her eyes. You can go. I'll wait up for you, she says. Suzetta, Phyllis, and I follow Mrs. Malloy to her car. We sit in the back seat and wait for the Malloys to get in. Mr. Malloy is talking with Deacon Boyd, Phyllis's dad, about everything and nothing, from the weather to sports to today's sermon. Mrs. Malloy is talking with Mrs. Boyd, and it seems like they might go on talking forever deacon boyd looks at mr malloy's car and says i'm going to get me one of those automobiles now that general motors is making fords again yes sir it will be good to get the factories back to making cars instead of a car factory being used to aid the war how many wars do we need anyway then mrs malloy says to her husband dear we should be going and the four of them say goodbye On our way to Suzetta's house, all I can think about is the candy in my purse and the whipping I'll get when I go home. I think about all the other ways Ollie Mae could punish me. No playing outside, extra chores, or a discussion about how and what I did was wrong. I think about all the things she'll say, and she's whipping me. How she'll make me feel guilty, telling me, after all I do for you, and... You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And if you're going to live in my house, you're going to live by my rules. And then I think, what if I stop living there? Maybe I can stay with Suzetta. Maybe Phyllis. Maybe I can go back to Pinehurst. Maybe a friend of my Aunt Fanny Mae will remember me. Maybe a long-lost relative will be found and want to take me in. Suzetta takes me away from my thoughts. Mrs. Malloy, Betty is going to join the youth choir. Did you know she can sing? Well, no, I didn't, Mrs. Malloy says. I bet there's all kinds of hidden talent in you, Betty, that I don't know about. She smiles at me, and I try to smile back, but my stomach is in knots thinking about Ollie May. I start feeling better once we're at Suzetta's house. Her living room is huge, decorated with white and gold velvet drapes, blue and gold sofas, and thick royal blue rugs that are under our feet chandeliers glisten above us every time I come over to Zuzetta's I think about how much bigger her room is than mine and how it is all hers she has a pink quilt covering her bed with pink pillows across from the bed is a big wooden dresser with a matching mirror she has lots of framed photos and colorful keepsakes there's a photograph of of her as a baby in her mother's lap she is caught in a laugh and seems so happy I look away Besides her bed and chair, at a desk, there's a small sofa big enough to fit two people on it. I sit on the sofa. Phyllis sits on the chair at the desk. There are suitcases leaning against the wall. Phyllis hands the record to Suzetta and asks, "'Whose suitcases are those?' Suzetta plays the record, and Billy Eckstein croons his blues away. "'My Uncle Clyde and Auntie Nina are staying with us for a while.' My cousins Kay, Bernice, and their baby brother, Alan, too. They're all living here, I ask, but I thought they lived back in in Black Bottom. I remember meeting Uncle Clyde, Aunt Nina, and their children when they first moved to Detroit from Alabama, but I don't see them much. Uncle Clyde came to work at one of the Ford car factories on the assembly line where they made parts for the machines the Army used in the war. Susetta tells us, My mom said now that all the soldiers are coming home from the war, they will need their jobs back, and the factories will start making cars again. So Uncle Clyde got let go. My mom said they'll be with us for just a little while, until they get back on their feet. Where does everyone sleep? Phyllis asks. Kay, the one who's 16, she sleeps in here with me. Bernice is 7, and she sleeps in the basement with Uncle Clyde and Auntie Nina. The baby is only f- a few months old, so he sleeps with them too. Phyllis asks, they have the whole basement to themselves? Yep, Suzetta says, and, I, and sits on her bed, which isn't made up. I think about how Ollie Mae would never, ever let me leave the house, let alone have company over if my bed wasn't made. Are they ever going to move back to Alabama? I ask. Phyllis looks at me like I should know better than to ask a question like that. There's nothing in the South to go back to, Betty, she says. I want to say there's plenty to go back to, that my Aunt Fanny Mae's grave is there, and the house she raised me in, and my friends who live down the road. My Grandma Matilda is there on her pecan farm, but I don't say anything because I also know there are good reasons why people who look like us would never ever want to go back. Billy's b- voice isn't singing anymore. Only the sound of his orchestra is filling the room. Suzetta leaps off the bed and grabs me by both hands, pulling me towards her. Let's dance, she says. The three of us strut our stuff, bebopping all over Suzetta's bedroom. Suzetta and Phyllis are trying to move like me, but they can't. So Suzetta does her own thing, and Phyllis plops down on the sofa. You think it's okay with God that we're listening to jazz? And we just came from church? Suzetta asks. My body is still moving and shaking, bebopping and gliding across the floor. Phyllis changes the record to Cab Calloway. All those preachers at church say God made everything right. Doesn't that mean music too? I say. I guess you're right, Suzetta says. We dance a little while longer until Suzetta switches the record again, puts on something slow. She returns to her bed and leans back on a pillow. I look in the mirror to see if my hair is messed up from all the dancing. It still looks good. I read one of the posters hanging on the wall. I've never noticed it before, so it must be something new. The sign says, don't buy where you can't be hired. Is that from the Housewives League, I ask? Yeah, Mrs. Malloy came to talk with my mother about it. She said that Negroes should only buy from other Negroes. And if people don't like us because we're Negroes, we shouldn't give them our money, Suzetta tells us. Did you know you could join us as a junior member? No. What does that mean? What do junior members do? I ask. I think they go canvassing and also help set up for the teas and fundraising banquets that the league puts on, Suzetta says. And there are classes to take. Well, not like classes we have in school, but more like history classes, about our history. We should join, I say. All of a sudden, Phyllis's face twists into a frown. I sit down on the rug, leaning my back against the dresser. Don't you think it would be fun to dress up and go to those banquets? Suzetta says, that part sounds fun. I don't know about walking door to door to hand out flyers, especially in the cold. Phyllis is quiet. I look at her, and before I can ask if she wants to join, she says, I'm not joining the Housewives League, Betty. That doesn't sound like fun to me at all. Besides, my mom wouldn't let me. I can tell by the tone of her voice that she doesn't want to talk about it. She changes the subject real quick, not giving me a chance to ask any more questions. She picks up a magazine from the small table next to Suzetta's bed. Your family gets... Ebony magazine? Not fair. Her eyes are full of wonder and envy. She holds the magazine with care. You're so lucky, Suzetta. Ebony is so much better than Negro Digest. Negro Digest is smaller, but it has a lot of neat articles. I like it, Suzetta says. Yeah, but it's boring. This has lots more color and photos, fashion, and cute boys. We all start giggling. I don't have much of an opinion because I've never read either. Negro Digest costs 25 cents, and Ollie Mae says there are 25 other things she could spend that money on, so we don't get any magazines. We spend the next hour turning pages and pointing out who we think is cute, which outfits we're going to get, and which hairstyles we will wear. I stare at the spread that's right there in the middle of the magazine. Ooh, I'm going there! I tell them, "Rose Meta House of Beauty in New York City. One day, I'm going to go there and get my hair done," I say. "Can you imagine all of us getting our hair done in Harlem?" We read the article out loud, taking turns. Phyllis goes first. She reads the headline, "Rose a House of Beauty: Biggest Negro Salon in the world." Then me. "Rose Meta opposes the idea that kinky hair is inferior. Her philosophy is that there is beauty in everyone. I read. There's a quote right next to a photo of a hairdresser pressing a woman's long, thick, black hair. Hair like mine. I read the rest of it. No Negro hair is bad. All Negro hair is attractive. Look at those curls, Susetta says. We look at the picture on the right side of the page. A woman has some... pink rollers in her hair, and a sea of curls hangs down the sides of her face. Suzetta reads the next part. The luxurious Harlem beauty salon offers pink champagne, and is so popular people come all the way from the South, Chicago, and Detroit. See, I'm going one day, I tell them. Told you. They smile at me, but not like they believe this dream of mine will ever come true. They smile at me like I sometimes smile at Shirley and Jimmy, when their jokes aren't funny, but I have to be a good big sister and laugh anyway. Suzetta jumps off the bed and says, want to bake some cookies? She walks into the hallway, down the stairs, and to the kitchen. Phyllis and I follow her. Phyllis is still holding the magazine and plops down once we get to the kitchen table. She does a lot more reading while Suzetta and I do the mixing and the placing of cookie dough on the baking trays and into the oven. We sit together at the table waiting and waiting for the cookies to bake. Suzetta and Phyllis start talking about a girl I don't know and I get lost following the gossip. So I pick up the magazine and turn the pages. I'm not really reading anything, just looking at the pictures. I stop at an ad that says, is your skin dark, dreadful and unattractive? So was mine. The woman in the magazine has tan skin like the inside of an almond, like Suzetta and Phyllis's skin. She is holding a bottle with a label on it that reads, Miss Emma's bleaching cream for a lovelier, lighter complexion. At the corner of the page there's a picture of the same woman before she used the cream. Her skin is brown, not tan. I flip back to the spread about Miss Rose Meta and her beauty salon in Harlem. I look at all the women sitting in the chair, getting their hair straightened, curled, cut, and pinned up. All of them are tan. I'm so distracted that I don't realize Phyllis is talking to me. Betty, you hear me? Next Sunday, we're going to style each other's hair, okay? We can take turns being Miss Rose Meta. I close the magazine. Okay. The front door opens and Suzetta's family comes in, Uncle Clyde in the front with the rest of his family following behind him. Aunt Nina is holding baby Alan, who is a ball of sleep cuddled up against her chest. Kay joins us in the kitchen, and I'm not sure if she really wants to or not, but I guess being with us is better than playing with her little sister. She sits next to me at the kitchen table and picks up the magazine, flipping through it while we talk do you like living here? I ask. Kay pauses and takes a moment before answering. Sure, I guess, Kay says, except for how cold it gets. Do you miss Alabama? I ask. I'm wondering if maybe, like me, she left people behind and places that she holds onto in her dreams at night. Kay says, of course, I miss my friends and my teachers. It's nice here, but in the South, There's more country land than there are houses. Here, there are so many people and cars everywhere you turn. And the houses are so close to one another. The timer dings, announcing that the cookies are ready. Suzetta opens the oven. They smell so good! Kay pours milk, and we eat our chocolate chip cookies without waiting for them to cool. Our mouths are full, and there's no more talking for a while. Everyone is enjoying the cookies. I don't bother to bring up the ad about a lighter, lovelier complexion. Don't ask Suzetta or Phyllis or Kay if they notice that none of the girls in the magazine are brown. Like me. Chapter A Day Kids Edition can be heard Monday through Friday at this time on CPL Radio.